0: Welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Oberheber and I'm your host. My guest today is Deanne Brakefield. Hello, nice to have you here.
1: Nice to meet you too. And thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with a question that opens the field so that we get to know you and your ideas and where you stand in life. So how did you come to see the world the way you do today?
1: That is a bit of a complicated question. Um, I believe you could go back to my childhood, obviously, for most people. Uh, You know, I took a lot of the negativity that was inflicted towards me, I took it on as personal traits, which was a horrible thing to do. Uh, And as I grew up, you know, a lot of people, they tend to sit in it and fester in that negativity and it's really hard to shed it and get rid of it. Then my oldest child was born. And I realized that if I didn't start getting rid of some of that stuff, that I was just going to pass it down to her and it would just be continuing this cycle of badness. To put it simply um, and so I started exploring different options on how to get myself right with the world. My husband and his mother actually brought me into Christianity because at the time I was not a Christian uh, and through that I may, I somehow found salvation and it was about five years ago I guess that I ran across a, uh, a book it was written by a current united states presidential candidate but it talked all about the course of miracle or the course for miracles and so much that had not made sense started to make sense new ways of looking at things that i had never considered before and as i ingested that material It changed my outlook on a lot of things. I mean, I had done quite a bit of introspection and self-work through the years because, you know, my oldest child that I mentioned before, she'll be 15 next month. So it's been quite a while since I started the journey. And I think part of my journey is learning that it never ends. You know, you continue to grow and change the way that you look at the world throughout your entire life.
0: so what are the most significant view changes that have come up in your life
1: <laughs> uh, the most significant i think would be that i'm not alone i spent the majority of my childhood and teen years feeling like i was completely alone that i was in a boat in the middle of the ocean and that i would never find anyone that could connect with me on a personal level that would ever start to understand who I was as a person. And as I, after my daughter was born, I realized that she was a huge part of who I was. She was, for lack of a better way to put it, my contribution. And my connection with her allowed me to start reaching out to other people and so i began to realize that no i wasn't alone that i had been isolating myself from everyone else my entire life because i felt i was flawed or damaged and didn't want to inflict that on them when in reality i wasn't flawed or damaged i just didn't really understand yet how to look at the world it you it's very easy to limit oneself And it's very difficult to break free of those limitations once they've set in.
0: So in A Course in Miracles, it's all about changing one's mind about the world. So and you said you you changed your mind when you said you didn't want to continue certain cycles or ways of thinking and behaving that you had learned in your childhood. So how do you see it when A Course in Miracles speaks about this, it speaks a lot about how it has nothing particularly to do with the life that you're leading. It's really about the thoughts that you're having or the way you see the world. So how did you shift in that way so that and how did your behavior or your attitudes or the way you acted change because of that?
1: Well, I guess in my younger years, a lot of what I was limiting myself with, with those thought processes was that, you know, no one wanted to be around me. No one wanted to interact with me, that I was a burden to the people around us. I mean, you can see where I'm going with this, the, the kind of mentality that has a chance to solidify around you if you're not paying attention. And it. That mentality drove almost everyone that I loved away from me because I felt like I was bad for them and then, and therefore I shouldn't inflict myself on them. Um, as I grew as a person and as I discovered The Course of Miracles and realized a lot of it really is about mindset, I began to realize that the way that people were interacting with me was totally based on the way that I was approaching them. Uh, if I approached somebody with the attitude of, oh, you know, they, they don't like me, they're going to dismiss anything I say, so why should I even speak? up? I mean, they, they would respond negatively to that. You know, their attitude shifts to being judgmental. Um, understanding that my thoughts dictate the way that I behave towards other people allowed me to begin changing and shifting those thoughts just a little bit at a time because it doesn't happen overnight to be able to see that when somebody is speaking to me, I can't put my preconceived notions on top of what I see because if I do that, I am limiting I'm limiting them as well as myself. I'm putting us in a little box instead of allowing what should happen to flourish and happen.
0: So what type of thoughts did you shift? Which ones came first and how did that develop?
1: It started with my children. I will, I will I know that for definite. Um, I realized that I did not have to treat them the way that I had been treated just because that was the way that I was trained. I realized I was allowed to essentially make up my own rules for being a parent. And when I quit trying to micromanage my children and just let them be children, they actually bloomed and became more affectionate. They become less aggressive, which allowed me to be, for lack of a better way to put it, kinder. It allowed me to interact with them on a one-on-one basis of we are equals instead of I'm your authoritarian and you have to do what I say because the more I micromanaged them, the worse my relationship with them got, but when I started paying more attention to what they were saying instead of how they were saying it, when I started paying attention to what I was saying to them and stopped trying to have those attitudes over them, um, it began to help a lot. Once I realized that the same way that I was approaching my kids was the way I was approaching my husband. It shifted the mentality from it's me versus him who's in control to we're in this together. And as long as we are moving for the betterment of each other and our family and the ones around us, nothing else really matters. Everybody else's negativity is irrelevant because we've created a bit of a bubble around the two of us, as it were, so that those outside influences can't get in anymore. I think the way uh, A Course of Miracles puts it is that this isn't reality. It's, um, we've made this this reality up as a way to torture ourselves almost. And so when you disregard a lot of the chatter and white noise that this world throws at you, you start to center yourself a little bit more. A lot of the agitation and the aggression that you feel you have to exude to survive just starts to melt away. And I think that's part of what it talks about a good chunk of is finding that inner peace, that calmness, And it's really amazing to me that if you're striving for it, if you're reaching for it and trying to make it come, it just gets further away. But once you start, I guess, relaxing and allowing yourself to be a part of your world, but stepped away from it at the same time, that the calm kind of comes naturally, the peace evolves. It doesn't just, it's not something that you can just grab a hold of and strangle it to death. You just kind of have to let it grow.
2: So
0: what other areas did you relax around more and more?
1: Uh, Until recently a lot of my life had centered around my husband and my children. I was a stay-at-home mom for over 15 years. Uh, About a year ago I actually decided it was time to start my own business which at first a lot of that those old thought processes began to filter back in because there was so much stress involved with that set of activities. After legitimately what was a nervous breakdown because I thought I was failing at my business. I realized that I wasn't failing, it was that I wasn't perpetrating the right messages, that I was allowing myself to repeat what the world was telling me back out through my my business channels and that I was getting ignored. Like no nobody wanted to interact with more of the same. Uh, as I started to pull that that calmness back in, that that mentality of at the end of the day, none of that really matters. That all I can do is try to spread that message of of peace. Once I actually started to do that, I put my business on that pedestal of this is going to be a vehicle. It's going to be the way that my voice gets out there. It started to fall together. All the pieces just began to like literally fall together on their own. I wasn't having to force it. And once I quit having to force it, um, I realized that I was doing exactly what I thought or what I should have been doing all along. I just had to figure it out, which... You know, if I'd fallen back on the Course of Miracles stuff that I had studied previously, I probably would have come to that a lot sooner. But sometimes, you know, the world just reaches out and it pulls you back out and it makes you forget what you believe in, even if it's just for a minute.
2: And sometimes
0: it's the other way around. <laughs> you, you forget the... The, the craziness for a moment and that's already so healing.
1: Those moments where you can forget the craziness, that's that is absolutely amazing. Um, I can remember Back when I was a younger woman, Christmas was one of the most stressful times of the year for me. I had to make sure everything was perfect. The house was decorated perfect. Lord forbid I burn the cookies because that's going to be an absolute meltdown. Um, But over the last couple of years, allowing the craziness to just realizing that most of that craziness has nothing to do with what's actually going on around you it's just your own mind reaching out and screaming at you and telling you that how how worthless you are and that nobody's going to appreciate what you're doing all that negativity it just builds on itself and it it really does trap you But once you realize that, you know, the kids don't care if the cookies are a little brown around the edges, they're still sugar. They still love them. Your husband doesn't care if the turkey is a little dry. He only cares that you loved him enough to take the time to do that. Like all those those little pieces and remembering that it's the moments. That's all we really have is those that singular moment in time, that what's coming doesn't matter. You'll get there when you get there. What has already happened doesn't matter. That it only it only lives on if you allow it to. That all you have is the right now. That all you have is what you choose for this moment. That's, I mean, it's freeing. It is incredibly freeing once you come to that actual realization, and once you can sit in it and really begin to look at everything in your life through that lens.
0: So, having been uh, mainly a mother so long and left, I'm not socialized in the business world, what is your take on, on education?
1: Can you be just a little bit more specific? Because I have, my kids range in age from 2 to
0: 23. <laughs> okay, well, like there's these ideas of homeschooling, of schools, of kindergarten, being part of education, nursery, and so on, the whole, what are we actually giving children through education or what is important to you with your children, for instance, or with children in general?
1: Okay, Um, I do not think that it is anyone's responsibility to educate my children but myself. They were given to me for a specific reason and in the beginning that reason is to protect them and to begin to teach them how to interact with other people. I personally chose not to send my children to nursery school or to kindergarten. I felt that they were too young. Uh, another way of putting that is too impressionable. When they're that small, almost everything that comes in front of them in some way impacts who they will be as they get older. And when they are outside of your purview for 8-12 hours a day, you really don't know what is being put into their, into their little spongy minds and what's going to stick for the long term. And I know that sounds a bit insular, but the way that in in the U.S., the way that things have gone for the last 20 years or so, they, it feels like they're just dist- attempting to destroy the family unit. Um. And by that, I mean, I can remember being in the public education system and them telling me that my parents were stupid, that my parents didn't know anything because they weren't educated. My my older children, um, when they finally started grade school, I was appalled when they would come home and tell me that teachers had told them they weren't allowed to talk about what they had learned at school that day. That, I mean, that shocked me because I can remember being little and going home and, Mommy, Mommy, look what I learned at school today. Isn't this awesome? And the smile on her face, it would light up and we were having a genuine moment where she was happy for me, but that in today's world, they were telling my children not to share with me what they had learned. It scared me because at that point, they're essentially telling me that they are teaching my child something I won't agree with. And so, um, you know, obviously a few years ago the world shut down when COVID happened. My kids came home, uh, my two oldest ones came home from spring break or came home for spring break and never left. So that was a an interesting experience. They, you know, that year they didn't even try to finish out the school semester and finish up the school year, they just let it go. And when the fall came around, they offered us the option of virtual schools because they weren't going to reopen the brick and mortars right away. That's when my eyes really got opened to what they were teaching my kids. Um, yes, they teach a lot about inclusivity in public schools. But they don't teach any of the moral lessons. They don't teach them how to interact with each other. They don't teach them anymore that they don't teach them that honesty is the best policy. And that really, really bothered me, because without honesty, you're lying. I mean, even if it's a little white lie, you're lying to someone. And that's putting negativity out towards them. Um, So I actually found a homeschooling option. It's a virtual school. I won't plug them, but um, they were absolutely wonderful. They give you the actual educational curriculum and they have teachers that will walk your kids through it, but they don't include anything but the actual academia. You know, all of those little extras that are included are, are not included in that. And so That was step one with my kids. Step two was reteaching them how to interact with each other. And I know that might seem strange, but when they were in, when my older ones were in public school together, they never saw each other during the day. And as soon as they would come home, they would go to their corners and they might say hi to each other at the dinner table, but they didn't really know how to interact with each other anymore. Bringing them home for good, their bond, <clears throat> excuse me, their bonds have actually gotten stronger. They're kinder to each other. They're more understanding of what each other are going through because they actually have opportunities throughout the day to interact with one another. They learn to care about each other in a way that they were almost discouraged from doing before. Um, and I've, I've attempted to teach them to be able to step back. Like, I mean, they're kids. Kids get upset. They have tantrums. They have meltdowns. They can't help it. But I've been, I mean, my toddler, she communicates better than my 17-year-old. Because when she gets upset, all you have to do is remind her to take a deep breath. And she actually does it. It's really funny. And then you ask her what's wrong. And because you disassociated her from those angry and upset feelings, she can actually communicate to you what went wrong versus my nine-year-old. I didn't get to teach him that technique because I allowed him to go off to first grade when it was time. Um, my mother-in-law actually watched him a good bit when he was a baby. And so when he has a meltdown, he, ha- he sits inside those emotions. He's still having to learn to disassociate himself from it that if he thinks about it just a little bit, that the feelings aren't as strong as he thinks they are. That there are outside influences that are changing the way that he's behaving when he should be the one in control. D- does any of this make any sense?
0: It's, it's a very important point of what values and what one wants to give the kids. and I i think it's it's very important to reflect on one's experiences and i think it's good that you were able to view things that, you know, that were going on in school and so on and get an idea of what you wanted to have and not be stuck by what they were saying you need to have
1: which i guess that's um one of the unique parts about Having technology available now that you know wasn't available even 10 years ago is because it's given us more choices, it's given us more options on how we're going to run our businesses, how we're going to raise our children, how we're going to participate in the relationships that we choose to have. Um, because of Zoom, my uh, one and seven-year-old niece and nephew actually know what I look like. If not for that technology, you know, they live on the other side of the country. They might see me once every two or three years and, oh, who is that person? Stranger danger. Um, so, yeah, the the options of today's world versus the way it was when I was a kid have made it easier to form those bonds and attachments and made it easier to make moral choices for your family. Because, in like where I live, um, a lot of my viewpoints, even as a Christian, are unusual because I believe that not just my salvation matters um and you know i know of course in miracles it takes a, a little bit of a unique view on salvation uh just like it does quite a few points um and so having having those options available to i'm starting to circle i'm sorry i'm so sorry my brain went in a circle there for a second um The technology gives you options. The options allow you to interact with people in a way that would have been closed to us even a decade ago. Having the unusual standpoint, you can still find community. Uh, uh, That was my point, my apologies. You can still find community thanks to the technology. Like you and I, you know, Even five years ago, we probably never would have come across each other and because of technology that a lot of people can use as a negative thing, they view it and use it negatively, we were able to make a positive connection uh, to be able to interact with one another, to be able to share in our journey with one another and that just wouldn't have been possible before.
2: It's it's
0: amazing what is possible, and this podcast is also possible because of these technologies. So, yeah, and it's in December, I will have had four years of podcasting, so it's going to be really fascinating. So, yes, this topic of education is very dear to me. And one of the big topics in education that people love talking about it, I don't know if you do, is the, the word resilient and its impact on people's lives.
1: Resilient. Isn't that just another way of saying that you're able to take it when people want to beat up on you? Oh, I know that's, i sorry. That seemed a bit sarcastic. That's the way, what it meant to me when I was growing up, it wasn't a positive trait. Um, I mean, do you see it as a, a positive or a negative thing? I'm just curious.
0: Well, the the topic in education is about people ha- having similar difficulties in life, many of different people, and then they k- made studies to see, okay, why do some of them thrive and, and, and many of them don't? And then they researched what made people thrive. It's not about being able to take it or whatever. But to thrive, thrive independent of circumstances. And they they found different factors why certain people were able to thrive more than others. And some of them were things like um, beautiful bonds with their parents or with someone in their life, you know, that enabled them to have that strength and so on. So it's not about take it to get beaten up and live with that but about why you can continue thriving and change things for yourself because of that, right? Not get into that negative cycle. So you're so, yeah, it's a different take than what you were saying. But yes, I understand what you were saying.
1: My apologies. Um, In resiliency, in terms of thriving, It comes down to, I think, two points influences and choices. Um, To me, whether or not you thrive is really a choice because it's all, it's a lot of people will say, well, if you're planted in the wrong spot, you can't thrive, thinking like, you know, a weed on the concrete. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think that you can thrive no matter where you're planted if you make the choice to. Because again, you know, it's all about that mindset. You decide that you're not going to let the negativity stick to you. You decide that you are either going to be content or you're going to strive for more. And whether you're content or whether you're reaching for more, They're both different ways of thriving. Uh, I know for a long time as a mom, I didn't feel like I was going anywhere. And as my mindset started to change, I became very content with my position. Um, That was my first step, I think, because with that contentment, I was able to really stop and begin appreciating the good instead of focusing on the negative. And once I was mostly focused on the good, that's when I really started to thrive. It's that positive outlook, that knowing that you're making a difference or having a positive impact, regardless of what your circumstances are, because I've seen millionaires that they obviously are not thriving based on the news stories that are going around versus people Um, There's a young man that I know that lives in Africa. It's a very poor community where he lives. He had not 10 cents to his name and he started a nonprofit organization taking in other kids like him and they started a dance troupe that they're going to be on a national, uh, a United States national program in just a few weeks. I would say that that's thriving because he took nothing and turned it into something beautiful. so yeah it's all about those uh your choice on how you're going to feel because you're the only one that gets to decide that at the end of the day even if you let other people influence you
0: yeah there there, there's a few things about that that, and of course in miracles as well i mean one of the one quotes that people like to quote i don't know if it's if you want to quote it ever, but I is the one that if you're in a desert, leave it, leave the desert.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that's spot on. When speaking back to my life, when I got tired of what was going on in my personal life, I left. I went to college, I put an hour and a half between me and the environment that I had grown up in and I quit taking phone calls. I left the desert as it were and my outlook on everything shifted radically and it was it was really thanks to meeting my husband, even though obviously he wasn't my husband then because he saw me in a way that I had never seen myself. Uh, you know, love is the most interesting of lenses. It lets you see things in people that they will blind themselves to. It also lets you blind yourself about some things if you let it. Um, But yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, I'm not very good at quoting most things including A Course of Miracles, uh, but that is an absolutely apt quote.
0: Other one that I think is really beautiful is when you Where an ancient hatred was and it turns to a present love right through forgiveness That's the most holy place
1: Sorry, I was redigesting that one for a second Um, Yeah, and a most ancient hatred Speaking from my personal experience, I can say that that is a very real thing. Most of the fear that I had about being a mom stemmed from the hatred that I had developed for my own uh, because most of it was just plain fear of repeating the, the lessons that she had taught me, of repeating the actions that would lead my children to be just like I had been. And like I said, that was all about fear, that ancient hatred once I started to let all of that go, the fear goes first, and once the fear goes, you know, the love can really start to flourish. I don't think I ever got closer to any of my children than I did after I realized that I did forgive her, you know? it And it wasn't forgiveness as in it didn't matter because it obviously did. It changed a huge chunk of who I was for a long time, but I didn't need that anymore. Forgiveness for me was letting, just letting it go. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to let that impact me anymore. And once you get to that place, I began, once I got to that place, I began to actually be able to appreciate the little, the good moments that I had had with her that I had forgotten about because I was so deeply rooted in all that, anger and negativity she wasn't always i won't say a bad mom but she was she wasn't always the way that i remembered her even i mean i had memories of her being good but you know negativity it overshadows everything it's like a cloud over a field that just won't go away and won't let anything below it grow and you know you have to blow all of that away and once you do You'll be surprised what what will grow from it. Um, you know, my relationship with my dad got better once I was able to let all of that go because now I wanted to be around him because I would be around her. Um, my relationship with my children grew because, like I said, I wasn't afraid of making those mistakes anymore because I had made the choice that that's just not who I was going to be. and. That, you know, children, they can sense it when you have fear about something and then they take those traits on themselves because if, if mom's afraid, then I should be afraid. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, the,
0: the, the beauty of this holy ground that comes about through forgiveness is a really, really important one. It's also used in with the image of the desert once again, right? Because then through that forgiveness then there comes a rain and then everything starts to flourish so it's, it's not only this the the idea of leaving the desert but also that that could transform because of forgiveness because it was a desert of of guilt and unhappiness and whatever attack and fear and so on right all these traits that come from the ideas of separation
1: Ah, yes, separation. Uh, I'm glad I reviewed my notes before from back when I was studying all of this. Um. Yeah, I think that that concept sums up a lot of what I've been saying is, you know, you you put those walls up. You separate yourself from all the other souls in the world, from God, because you don't feel worthy when you have all that negativity hanging over you. And so once you start to break those walls down and realize that it was all your own doing to begin with, just remembering when I had that Aha moment just sent goosebumps up on my arms. I mean, it was it was probably the definitive moment that changed a lot of my outlook when I realized that everything that I thought that I blamed on other things, most of almost every single bit of it was of my own making. Um, that separating myself from that thought of worthiness. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's what you do. You put a wall between yourself and the belief that you're worthy. And as long as you that wall is standing there, you're never going to make any ground. Um, you're never going to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, for lack of a way, better way to put it. Because you don't see the, ne- even if you see the necessity of it, you're hiding from it. And you're doing it on purpose even if you i'm talking in circles again even if you don't realize you're doing it on purpose
0: it's not exactly circles because it's taking responsibility for your thoughts and what that means in terms of your experience and how you are able to act because you can't act when you are blocked in your way of perceiving things or the way you think things are. You get blocked in your actions as well.
1: There's a another author that I have read, he talks about um the junk in your trunk, how everyone carries around a box and everything that you experience throughout your life goes into that box. And at the end of the day, you can't take anything out of the box that you haven't put in. So he talks about it's a similar concept. You get rid of everything that's bad in that box that you don't want weighing you down anymore and just fill it with the good. And to me, it was a very similar uh, way of looking at things is because you have to let go of all of that negativity and hold on to the good stuff, hold on to the love. And when you do that, you can do anything. I mean, and I do mean absolutely anything. The only thing holding you back is yourself because you will find a way if there is love and it is what you really and truly want.
0: And um, another image that I like to quote from A Course in Miracles is the this treasure. There's this treasure where there's a door that is kept open by angels so that everyone can go and get whatever they need or whatever they feel like getting and the treasure is always more everyone who comes in there's more treasure because of that
1: i completely agree um I, I don't know why we have that idea that there is a limited amount of anything in the universe because God as we understand Him is an infinite being. So why would His love and the good and the, the things that you actually need to thrive be finite? It, it, it wouldn't. It doesn't make any sense. And so you're right, that that image of... The the treasure right behind the doorway and there's always more, there's always more than enough and it's overflowing is just, it's, it's very powerful.
0: I like about it is the idea that the angels keep the doors open. They're not there to guard the, the treasure, but they're there to keep the doors open for everyone.
1: Uh, yeah, because in in so much Christian imagery, you know, you see angels wielding flaming swords, and they're the heralds of all sorts of whatnot that never does any good for humankind, or it seems like it's just in vengeance and retribution. And no, that's that's not right, because even if even if you believe that they were created before us, they were meant to be our guard guardians and the guardians of this world and everything good in it and so yeah having them they're not guarding the door just having it to where they're holding it open so that you essentially don't forget that it's there absolutely
0: so yeah so what you were speaking of your children and how you didn't send them to nursery or kindergarten for a reason so what were the the things that you gave them that were so important to you that you said you want to do it yourself and you don't want to put it into anyone else's hands so that you'd be certain they would get that gift that you wanted to give them
1: their sense of self-worth, legitimately. Um, I was afraid that if I sent them out to be influenced by people that I couldn't control in situations that I couldn't control, that others would convince them that they were worthless, that they were flawed in some way. And uh, circling back around, you know, all of those flaws that we perceive of the self, they're not real. the, the physical form is absolutely meaningless. It's just the packaging that, you know, the good stuff wears. And so convincing a child, and it's so easy to do when they're really little, that they are flawed in some way that they can't correct and therefore others will look down on them is so easy to do. Um, my My oldest child, he's my stepchild, he went to kindergarten and that was the decision that made me Decide, or that's what made me decide not to do it for the others. Is his kindergarten teacher told him he was stupid, told him that he would never learn how to read because he didn't know every letter of his alphabet by the time Christmas came around. So essentially, three months and he didn't know every single letter and every single phonetical sound. He was stupid and would never learn to read. Well, he took that to heart. He was in the 6th grade before he finally caught up to his peer group because he thought he was stupid. She helped him to destroy his self-worth and I didn't want that to happen to any of my other children because just like you, you do with your parents, you put your teachers up on a pedestal and for some reason you decide that their opinions matter more about you than your own do. Uh, I don't know if you had any similar circumstances when you were in school.
2: I guess I have plenty
0: of stories to tell, <laughs> but it's not about me in this case. So, yeah, there's a lot to speak about this and say about these topics. And I think what we might want to look at is how do you instill this understanding that you are flawless you're a whole you're complete because we are different each one of us is different and we nonetheless need that experience of wholeness so how how did you do that because I think that's beautiful that that was your purpose and your and you you had a feeling and a knowledge of what to do so I'd love to hear about it
1: it it started with making sure that they understood that regardless of what they did that i would always love them that it didn't matter if you pulled your sister's hair or if you knocked your brother over or if you said a dirty word mom will always love you because like i said you get it's kind of similar with god God's opinion of you matters more than your own opinion. When you're little, uh, I can't remember where I heard this, but it stuck with me. You believe that mother... The quote is, mother is God in the eyes of a child. And that really, really stuck with me in, in a lot of ways that I didn't realize until years into being a parent that they're always watching. And they are imitating everything that they see and that what you tell them offhandedly digs deep into their minds because they value my opinion as a mom more than I think they should, but in a way that is very real to them. And so, like I said, I started by teaching them that regardless of what you do, I will always love you. from there, it's it's about that. Val- after that, it's about validation. So often, as a parent, we're offhanded with our kids. They'll come to us excited and full of happiness and wanting to share something with them. And we're, uh huh, uh huh, that's nice, and send them on their way. I realized that that's, that's one of those blocks putting a wall between me and my kids because they don't feel validated. They don't feel like I actually see them or them that I'm paying attention. So when they come to me excited, even if I'm in the middle of something that I think is extremely important, I will at least give them 15 seconds. That's the rule. And I know it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but 15 seconds is all it takes is to make eye contact with someone, show them how excited you are for their excitement, and acknowledge what it is that they're trying to share with you. Sometimes you want to give it a lot more than that, but that is the bare minimum that it takes. And when they, when my kids see that the thing that I have deemed important has been set to the side, they start to learn that they're more important than the stuff that doesn't doesn't actually matter. Another thing that I did, another way that I did it was a lot of times we try to put them on our schedule. Uh, We try to hurry them along. Well we have to be somewhere in five minutes. Get your shoes on. Get out the door. Get in the car. Let's go, go, go. That's not the the speed that they move. And so I've started to pull back from that way of thinking and it's not just, well, you start getting ready five minutes earlier to make time. No, it's you speak to them with kindness. Okay, we're being a little slower than we need to be. Can we hurry up a little bit or can, do you think, is there any way I can help you so that we can get out the door? Like you make it about them, you personalize it because at that point you're, you're watering their self-worth. You're not belittling them to a situation. They matter more than whatever it is that you're rushing off to do and making sure that they don't get lost in in all the chaos that's going on around us. I think that's the main gist of it is making sure that they don't get lost in all the noise and the chaos because they don't know how to stand up for themselves yet. And a lot of times they can't communicate when they're hurting and when they need just a little bit more. So you have to be aware of, it's going to sound cliche, you have to be aware of your children the same way that God is aware of us.
0: Yeah, I think that that's one of the a very important topic is that everything that we want from God, right? Yeah, that's really important to think about it, right? You wanna give your children what you would want God to give you, right? Because because that's so important, but you also need to give it to yourself. So it's to the... And then of Course in Miracles, it speaks of you need to give all to have all. So of course, what we wanna give it needs to be things that we want, right? Because if we if that's what we have, then that's what we need to give, right? So I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And maybe you have some more examples you'd like to share about that.
1: Ah, uh, more examples. You'd think I would ha- I would be able to give you one right off the top of my head. Um, with six kids and experience, sets of experiences, um, can you give me a little more direction?
2: Let's make it a little
0: easier and, and speak about your business, right? And get an example from there, maybe because you m- probably want to speak about that a little bit as well. And we might use this opportunity to, to speak about it.
1: Okay. Um, with my business, one of my biggest problems is organization. It is actually a something that I've worked on my entire life is staying organized. Um, I used to have what I called my weekly meltdown where on Monday morning I would sit down at my desk and look at everything that I had prepared for the next week and allow myself to just co- get completely overwhelmed. Uh, There was more than a few times my husband found me crying at my desk because I know I'm not perfect and sometimes I let things get to me. And so I I had to remind myself that every single thing on that to-do list, it wasn't something demanding my attention. It wasn't something to weigh me down. It wasn't something bad that it was another opportunity. Each interaction that I have is another chance to spread that love, another chance to give a little bit, a little bit back to all the people that are around me. You know, on a given Monday, I I run a marketing agency. So on a given Monday, I create anywhere from 20 to 60 pieces of content for an entire week. I could let myself get crazy about it and, oh my gosh, I got to get this done and I got to get this done and I got to move on to the next topic. Or I can see each one as a chance to reach someone. Each one, each message is an opportunity to put my positive vibe out into the universe and to sow a little bit of that love um, that I'm constantly looking to share because my business is an it's a megaphone for my voice at the end of the day it's more of that what it's whatever i put out is what i'm going to get back so if i do nothing but negative and it's only about making money then i'm not going to get anything but negativity even if i get a little bit of money from it Every time I communicate with my audience, I try to give them a little bit of value, something that will help them, something that will put a smile on their face for the day, something that might be just the very thing that they had been looking for and didn't know that that's what they were looking for. Instead, So instead of, oh, well, here's my sale of the week, here's what I want you to buy, I say, here is my tip that might help you do better on your own if you choose not to engage my services. At least that's the idea that I've I've tried to look at my business as an opportunity to do service in God's name in this world, instead of just a way for me to get what I want, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I've heard some
0: people, they, they like to use the, the idea of a Christ-led business. What, what do you just say to that?
1: Well, it would depend on which definition of Christ we're talking about. Uh, if we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you know, superstar of the Christian religion, that can be a good thing. It can also lead to a very judgmental way of doing business. If we're talking about the Course of Miracles Christ, uh, where and not Jesus, to where we are all the Christ, once we attain a certain level of understanding of our place in this universe, then absolutely every business should be Christ-led. Because then that means that every action you're taking in your business is for the betterment of the people around you. It's for um, bringing people further along in their journey and their understanding of the way that the universe is structured.
0: I think it's it's. I think that's one of the beauties of is I mean, yes, we have that topic of serving, right? In business generally, that's a big topic in any business. I mean, many say, "Yeah, the client is the boss," or whatever. All kinds of things are said like that, right? But what I, at the end of the day, it's it's really about doing something that is worth worthwhile, right? That you're giving something that is valuable to you as well, and is valuable to everyone you're serving. So you need to to see where that's coming from, right? You have to differentiate. Like you said, you know, if it's only about making the money, you're not going to be happy with it at the end of the day, like you were saying, right? So the idea of being happy with what you're doing includes the need to do something that is valuable and has quality and that has meaning, right? And purpose.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's part of why I cho- choose to work with the people that I do. I mean, as a marketer, I could work with anybody. I mean, I could work with the mechanic down the street or the restaurant up the road. I choose to work with what I call our healers, it, um, mostly mental health professionals. They're people that put that good out into the world, that their message needs to be heard. And that's how I spread my message is choosing to help them because, you know, um, the mechanic is great and he can fix your car, but your car isn't real. <laughs> Your car is not going to last for all of eternity. It doesn't really matter whether it cranks or not, except to you. But the person who educated or not has chosen a way to reach out to heal someone, be that um, an energy worker, be that a therapist or an acupuncturist. They are working towards putting those good, that good message out. They want, they have a need to heal and I can spread their message by teaching them things that, that maybe they didn't know that they needed to be doing or helping them tweak their words just a little bit so that it, it carries more weight. Um, because I don't believe that I'm small. I used to. I don't believe that my My presence in this universe is by accident anymore. I used to think it was a mistake uh, because, you know, God does not make mistakes. Each of us exists for a specific reason. And that is the only goal is to reconnect to Him and figure out what that reason is. What did He put you here to do?
0: And of Course in Miracles it says no one is special, but everyone has a special function. So it doesn't the special function doesn't make you special. We're all equal.
1: Which I don't think my special function makes me special. Um, because I know that there are a thousand other people in the world that could take my place if it was necessary. Um, Just like I don't believe each of the healers that I help are special because obviously I have thousands of them to choose from. But understanding what your function is, it I hate to use the analogy, but it's almost like a uh, a beehive where no one bee is special and they're all working towards the betterment, in this case, of the human race because that's all we can really do is attempt to get closer to God and help each other get closer to God, pull each other up instead of stepping on each other and pushing each other down.
0: It certainly is an interesting choice of yours to say you want to work with the healers. You could have you could have said you would have the same values and you work with the mechanics that you were using as an example, because because of how happy people become when their car works well, and how much healing and forgiveness happens because of having a, a car that works. Afterwards, so yes, it, it, I see a, a lot of potential in it. I think it's fine to choose where you want to put your emphasis on it. and I think it's it's beautiful that every human being has their special function and that special function is in every area of life otherwise we wouldn't have those areas available to us.
1: Um. Yes, yes. Uh, I can't remember where I heard it but when you look into the eyes of a newborn baby, you see the potential for all. It's because we haven't allowed ourselves to specialize yet. We haven't limited ourselves in what we're capable of yet. Um, All that newborn knows is that they are a beautiful soul and from the moment they walk in this, walk into this world, They don't understand why anything bad would ever happen to them. I think that's the emulation of being like a child is because they don't expect bad to happen to them. They expect everything to be happy and joyous and expect every situation to turn out to their positive. It's the grown-ups in their life that teach them that only bad is coming for you that you have to prepare yourself you have to be on your guard i mean we really do teach it to our children to expect the world to be evil and then we wonder why we grow up in an evil world
0: yeah that that's something where one can defer on the on the analogy but analogy but you can But the idea of of not expecting evil, but expecting good and actually having that experience is important. I know that I certainly had times where I had a very, very positive outlook and I was like, wow, and I was so happy. Right. And then I would have a different experience and and then I would, you know, you'd switch back and forth and you'd question the one from the other perspective so the beauty of it is that we do get to learn from all of this as well it's not just and we are coming with these these ideas of separation according to a course of miracles it's not from birth birth is is also a, a symbol of separation and death as well and all these things so the idea to that life is eternal that it there is no body that defines life but life is something that a quality that we all have because of where we come from is a very powerful idea i think in the course of miracles so yeah how do we, we we look how do we come to the conclusion that you came to with the open-mindedness and this knowing that yeah, everything is possible right everything is ours because of who we are I think that's really, really powerful to see each other as infinitely valuable, as it says in A Course in Miracles, in the mind of God, and in each other's minds, hopefully.
1: (laughs) I don't, I mean, I I know it's mentioned, I'm not exactly sure how it was phrased, but it's not really a coming... To the under, or it's it's coming to the understanding that you just forgot it. Um, when I was little, I knew that I was the queen of the universe. That I could do anything that I wanted to do. That my potential was unlimited. Because today I am a princess, and tomorrow I'm an astronaut, and next week I'm a doctor. You can imagine so many futures and possibilities until something outside tells you different and you believe it. you Well, you can't be an astronaut because you're in a wheelchair. Well, you can't be a surgeon because you're blind. That's a really large illustration of what's done because obviously these people have physical limitations and so Their forms are a little more limited, but we do it every day with every child and every person that we interact with, even if they seem normal. Because I see a man walking down the street and if I'm not careful, I will have preconceived notions about who he is just based on the way his hair looks and the clothing that he's wearing. I've limited myself and I've limited him and we haven't even spoken to each other yet and that is, like I was saying, that's something you learn when you're very, very young because it's taught to you, not because it just happens. It's not natural. It's something that we've passed down from generation to generation and unlearning that behavior is one of the most difficult things in your life because it comes back to that remembering remembering that you are more than the limitations that you've placed on yourself that you are that infinite potential because I'm I'm 38 years old I could still be a surgeon if I wanted to. All I got to do is go learn the, the things that would be required for me to become a surgeon. I could be a pioneer if I wanted to in any field. I just got to apply myself and quit telling myself, I can't. Those are the two most evil words when put together. I can't because that is all that limits your potential.
0: Yeah, that's a big debate. How much potential do we have, right? Do we have infinite potential? Yes, we know of many examples of people who in later stages in their lives achieved amazing things. So there's people, you know, with 71, they wrote books, started writing books, and they got really famous, or whatever, there's various things that people have achieved. So, yes, it's not age that determines how much you can do. It's not necessarily the physical things that determine that. And it's not necessarily your background. And, yes, I have I've limited myself just as anyone else, right, in many, many ways, and still I am, right? So we still have a lot of limiting thinking to release, to let go of. And that's not only upon ourselves, but on others, as you said. So, yes, seeing each other as whole is really something that we need to remember how to do.
1: Absolutely. And I I touched on that a bit a minute minute ago. Um, You know, my, my toddler she thinks she's perfect. I have, she hasn't forgotten that she can't climb a bookcase and take off in flight because she doesn't, I've never told her she can't. Um, and I know that sounds like a crazy analogy, but part of what I got out of A Course of Miracles was that the reality that we underst- or that we understand that we live in, it's not real. It's a misnomer. It's a temporary state of being, not eternity. That I mean, science tells us that this planet isn't going to exist forever, but it has an explanation on how and why and all kinds of uh, hypotheses on what's going to happen when it ceases to exist. How do they know? Can they actually prove it because it hasn't happened yet? Oh wait, that's in the future. The future doesn't exist any more so than the past does Um, because this is just a construct. It's temporary. What matters is how how we interact with each other, how we touch each other and lift each other up. The construct is absolutely irrelevant at the end of the day because it is just that, a figment of our imagination.
0: I think it's so beautiful to see each other as whole. And I know how, how challenging it is to me. So I can imagine how challenging it is to everyone who, who is at a similar state of mind as I am at, right? And so I think we all can walk each other home in this, as I, always, I like to say, and of course, in Miracles, it says that we're walking each other home, and I like to say it as well. So uh, yeah, let's look into the topic of walking each other home, or as you are stating it, lifting each other up. What are the the ways that help us to do that? You you've mentioned a few, and we might want to go a little deeper into that because I think it's really, really beautiful. And this, I think it's amazing that you're able not to tell your toddler that she can't fly. I mean. <laughs> Most most of us would say, okay, if they're gonna climb and try flying, I have to tell them stop. You're gonna fall down, right? Don't get hurt. So, yeah.
1: uh yeah. When that actually happened, my first instinct was to scream, "Freeze! Stop! Don't do that!" And instead, I just reached up and I grabbed her, and I'm like, "I have a better idea. Let's go do something else." Um, but no. Lifting each other up, as I put it, or walking each other home, it's all about caring for each other. Um, We often approach every situation as though it's a problem, as it's something that we have to fix, and we have to do it by ourselves. No one else is going to help us. Part of how I've been trying to teach my children is that, It's okay to ask for help because you're not in this alone. You're never alone. Uh, If you think you're alone, you're not because God's with you. If you forget that God's with you, fine, reach out and grab your sister's hand. Um, We often forget how to reach out to other people. And I think that's part of what has been so important to teach my kids is not just that you can, but how to do it. That it is okay to see somebody struggling and put your hand on their shoulder and tell them that you've got them and ask them what they need. Because we often assume we know how to help someone based on our own experiences when we shouldn't be saying I've necessarily saying I've got you, let me help, versus I've got you, how can I help?
2: Yeah,
0: that, that is an, an interesting thing. I, I I have a an issue with asking for help when I in many cases. And one of the, and then you get sometimes you get criticized when you ask for help. You should, you should be able to do it yourself. Aren't you that smart? Aren't you there yet or whatever, right? And then you're like, oh my God, that it, like people think you're taking advantage of them or you're not going to do the work yourself because you're asking for help. And so to get over past that, right, and know how to ask for help, I think that's really important. I think it's good that you're speaking about that. So, how do you ask for help without getting into that trap of thinking you're either taking advantage of someone or something is to, someone's taking advantage of you or they think you're stupid, or or you think they're stupid because they're not helping you, or whatever there's going on, right? Or you or someone or you think you're stupid because you're letting someone help you. I don't know, there's many different topics, right? Or you're taking up too much time, or or when you're helping someone, oh, you're doing way too much or you're doing too little or you know all these inconveniences that you might get trapped in instead of actually just helping each other and walking each other home.
1: Um I've tried to live with the philosophy that if I don't ask for help, I'm taking an opportunity away from someone else. That if I didn't if it wasn't important for me to ask that I would already have the knowledge that I have to be able to do what I need to do. Um, that's one of the things that I've stressed with my kids is that if you don't ask me for help, you're taking a blessing away from me because it was going to be my blessing to be able to help you. Uh, does Does that make sense? I, this isn't one that I've given a whole whole lot of thought to even though it's something that I've deemed pretty important to teach my kids just because it seems it seems like a common sense thing to me but I know sometimes something is common sense to one person that needs more explanation.
2: I think that's
0: a very beautiful thought and we can go deeper with it. The idea that it's a blessing you're taking away from someone by not asking for their help. Now, the another, another thing is to determine whom to ask for help, because there are people who dismiss you, like I was mentioning, right? When you ask for help, they get dismissive and judgmental of you. Um, so you must have developed or found a way. What do you want to teach about that? Or what are you teaching about that?
1: Uh, Well, part of what I believe is the serendipity of the universe that, uh, in a way, everything moves in circles. So if you need help, the person that should help you or the thing that should help you will present itself because nothing happens by accident. Nothing is coincidence. Um, If you approach one person for help and they are dismissive or belittling of you, then you pray for them. Because they obviously weren't the right person to help you, and they have developed a bad attitude that they need help with. If they are dismissive and belittling and you take it to heart, well, then come tell me because I need to pray for you. We need to work on that with you because you're letting someone else tell you who you are and what you're worth again.
0: Yeah, that's that's very well put. So those are and of course in miracles they love the many teachers love to say that it's a forgiveness opportunity. <laughs> what do you say to that?
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, that forgiveness stuff again. Um yeah. Um Because, you know, when somebody is belittling to you, you really only have two choices. You can, well, three, you can ignore them back, be belittling back, which is nobody wins that way. You can, or you can forgive them. And when you forgive them, you're taking their power away. And I know that sounds like a weird way to put it, but people only have the power over you that you allow them to have. And it's not really yours to give away in the first place. You know, it speaks to that being a whole person is you can't be whole if you're giving little pieces of yourself away for other people to to control. And so by forgiving them, you're taking that little piece back instead of letting them hang on to it and have their little hook in you.
0: Wow we're going into some deep subjects here I'm so happy I asked you about education and the way you do it how you've been teaching your kids these values so so maybe we can so you were also speaking about in your business how you were conveying these values you choose with whom you work you You are have a certain view of it that you're actually able to offer and give and say these are tips or ideas that could be helpful. And you're not and you were also speaking of how you're not attached to whether they choose your services or not, at least not as attached as some as you've observed in others doing similar things. Right. So. That's fascinating. So. What is the next step? So you give a tip and and someone says yes or no. Right. To work with you. Either way, they gain from it because you said they might be able to use it in their own way. Or they don't. And then, okay, someone chooses to work with you.
1: Uh, So my. My first question to anybody that I choose to work with is, how can I help you? Sometimes they think they know the answer to that. Sometimes they have no clue. Most of the time they're wrong. And I know that sounds funny. a lot of times people say they don't know what a problem is. Well, when you start asking questions and you dig a little deeper, you discover, know that they actually do know what the problem is. They've just been lying to themselves and trying to ignore it. Uh, A lot of times a client will come to me and tell me that they know exactly what the problem is. And after I ask a few questions, no, they just thought that they knew what the problem is. And once we dug a little deeper, we realized that that was just essentially a coating of paint over the actual problem. Um, And a specific example is I had a client that she thought she had bad branding. Um, If you're not, for those that might not be familiar with what that means, It's everything from the colors that you pick to represent your business, to your logo, to your message. She thought she had bad branding and so I started to ask her a few more questions and it wasn't her branding. It was the way that she was approaching her clients she came off as very aggressive she came off as a little bit of a know-it-all and i hate i hate that expression but it was appropriate in this case because every time someone asked her a question she would her body language would change and the way that she spoke to people would change and she became a bit of an authoritarian she had never seen it because she didn't even watch the videos that she was creating for her her business. She was just making them and straight posting them. And so when I had her actually start to watch some of the videos and I asked her, I said, would you buy from you? Would you come to you as a therapist? I mean, the way that you, you're you speaking to the people on the other side of the camera, would you want you as your therapist? And she, she she was completely flabbergasted because she, even as a therapist, she had completely missed all of the signs that she was giving off. As soon as we took down all of her videos and I had her re-record the videos as though she was talking to somebody sitting in the chair next to her instead of like she was a college professor talking to people that didn't know anything, she didn't have any problems filling her book anymore. Her appointment book, she was having to backdate people and refer people to other therapists. And to to bring it back to the point, it's a lot of what I do is just teaching other people how to talk to each other. Um, And it's so important for the clients that I choose because they're supposed to be the quote and unquote healers. They're supposed to be the ones that know how to fix you, but if they're coming from that bad place, if they're not even paying attention to themselves, they're not conveying a sense of authority, not really. They're authoritarian and authority are com- two completely different things. Um, they're not instilling a sense of confidence. And that's part of, I think, what A Course of Miracles does speak to is confidence. Um, And not false confidence either, not where, you know, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not to impress somebody. Real confidence in understanding your place in the universe and your chosen paths, it lets other people believe in you. It gives you a place of honesty to communicate from. it gives you a place to build trust, to build bonds with other people because without confidence, you're going to constantly be lying to yourself and telling yourself that you are less than the person that you're communicating with. And as long as you're doing that, you're you're still separating yourself.
0: Yeah, very beautiful. I like to hear how you continue with them. And that example is very good because you can see how you can completely misidentify what's not working because of the way you're seeing things. So that's beautiful to have this opportunity to walk each other home by seeing each other as whole and it was not what i thought was interesting that you were not judging her but you were saying okay you're getting all tense you're you're doing things really tense instead of relaxed please change that right and start relaxing because you are capable so i think one of the the beauty beauties of it was to give her the confidence that she can actually be authentic. And through that authentic approach, be the authority. Because like, like I here, I, I'm saying I have these same issues, right? It's not like I, I don't have them. Right? And I'm still doing a podcast, right. And I remember when I was like, I'm having this feeling I need to do this. Uh, I was like, yeah, but I, I don't know, of course, in miracles any better than anyone else. I don't know these things. I, I actually, you know, and why can I do it? Right? And then the thing is, come from where you're at, that's the most powerful. That's what the message I got. And I, that's what I tell all my guests as well if they need that, need to hear that message. So it's time to wrap up things. So is there Something you would like to share that I haven't asked you yet.
1: Um, no, I've actually shared more with you than I normally would. Uh, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to get to speak to you today. um it's It's been a very encouraging interaction.
0: Yeah, it is a blessing to be able to walk each other home. And, and that's part of the, the purpose of this podcast. That is the purpose of the podcast, actually. <laughs> There's no other so We're walking each other home. So thank you so much for joining in this purpose of walking each other home and remembering or re-remembering how to see each other as whole because that's what we're doing in this process in these conversations i'm re-remembering and my guests are re-remembering those listening and watching and those commenting or reviewing the podcast or sharing it with others we're all doing that so if you like this podcast please review it please subscribe to it please support us in any way. You can also be a guest. I love having guests who come from where they are at right now. No need to be anyone else. You don't have to be someone who thinks they're more intelligent or less intelligent than anyone else unless that's where you're at right now. And and love it. <laughs> so everyone's welcome to share that this purpose with one another. So thank you all of you and till next time.